this is Tiffany Jones and you are watching the first episode of The District, Community Conversations with Tiffany Jones. The main intent of this show is to elevate voices that aren't always heard and people that aren't always seen. So you'll see people on, these show, on this show that you're familiar with and some you're not too familiar with. But tonight we have someone that I know that you know, and that is former Police Commissioner Daryl D'Souza. Thank you so much for being here today, Commissioner. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tiffany. I feel honored to be your first guest. Um, I really appreciate it. Appreciate you. It was great running into you a couple of weeks ago. Um, of course, we were practicing social distancing, but it was great to see you. So, and thanks for having me. It was great to see you too. And thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Daryl D'Souza, he is a 30-year veteran with the Baltimore City Police Department. In 2018, he was promoted to police commissioner. He had an extensive career in law enforcement. He has held a number of leadership positions. He was appointed deputy police commissioner in 2015 after serving as the chief of patrol. He was appointed as a law enforcement fellow with the International Associations of Chief of Police in August 2016. He led an advisory group to review the legal implementations of body-worn cameras and test their use in the Baltimore City Police Department. He led the first ever cyber crime unit for the Baltimore Police Department, focusing on cell phone and computer forensics, online crimes, and video evidence retrieval. He has received countless honors and awards, but what tops all of this off is that he's a graduate of my alma mater, Morgan State University. <laughs> so first, I just want to ask you how you've been and how you're feeling. Oh, wow. I, um, again, Tiffany, thanks again. I feel great. Um, I feel blessed. I'm truly thankful. Um, but... I'm still a little bit concerned about what we're seeing today um, as it relates to the events unfolding, um, police brutality, um, what we're seeing across the country with um, a divided country. Um, and, and although I'm still kind of hesitant and worried a little bit and concerned, you know, I remain optimistic and if there was a message that I just would say right now is that I encourage, I encourage everybody just to go out and vote because their, your vote is, is so critical um, this year. It's, it really counts. So um, other than that, everything is, everything is great. I'm glad to be back home. Oh, great. So um, well, before I get into this first question, since you mentioned um, voting, what do you think about the elections that's going on in Baltimore City right now? Um, I, uh, I think it's um, a real good, fair uh, election. I think it's going to be real interesting to see um, how Baltimore um, reacts and how Baltimore votes. Um, I really do think they're three great candidates, if you ask me, um, at this point. But um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. And uh, really, Baltimore really does need a, uh, a real strong business plan to, to move forward. Okay, so now every story has a beginning. So how did you go from a kid from Queens, New York, to an officer in Baltimore City? So I, uh, you know, born and raised in, in Queens, and um, when I turned 18, actually when I was 17, I turned 18 when I moved away, I actually left Baltimore, 
and I went to school at uh, Virginia State University in Petersburg, Virginia. Um, it was the first time that my brother and I, I'm, I'm a twin, it's the first time we uh, were actually separated because, you know, school and home, we were together uh, all our lives, obviously. And uh, he decided to go to Morgan State University, and I decided to go a little further south to Petersburg, Virginia. And um, I ended up just staying a semester because um, I got kind of homesick a little bit, and the distance was a little bit further than what I anticipated. So um, my brother actually came to Petersburg to visit. So he came down an early part of the weekend, and his roommate at the time was actually from Petersburg, Virginia. So um, I actually drove back with him and his roommate to accompany, um, you know, provide uh, assistance with a friend that uh, his roommate knew, a ride up to Baltimore and a ride back. And what happened is I actually got left. I got stuck. <laughs> I got stuck on campus. I got stuck at Morgan State. Wow. <laughs> I didn't have a ride back home. Oh, no. <laughs> But when I say back home, I mean Petersburg, Virginia. So right. it took me two or three days. And in those two or three days, I just fell in love with Morgan State. I fell in love with Baltimore. Wow. And I ended up transferring. And this was in, oh my gosh, 1983. Mm. So I ended up transferring. And um, that's all she wrote, really. I've uh, been wow. in Baltimore since since then. That is, that is really interesting. So like, okay, so within... 2018, okay, within months of receiving your promotion to be Baltimore Police Commissioner. So you were charged with a failure to pay taxes and sentenced 10 months in, in federal prison. And now you sit before us time served and free and, and you will ride in a wave of, um, you know, success. And then suddenly you're thrusted into this Valley experience. Like what, what was it like to be you in that moment and how did it change you? It was tough. I'll be honest with you, um, but I took that opportunity really to kind of self-reflect on myself. Um, and every now and then in life, uh, you have to sit still. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. I sat still. And as I sat still, I reflect on my past and my present and where I wanted to go in the future. Uh, but obviously, the big elephant in the room was, you know, taking your freedom away, you know, get my freedom removed, you know, and that the toughest day really probably in my life probably was May 13th, um, 2019. That's when I had to self-surrender. Mm. You know, my family and friends, you know, drove me up to the institution in New Jersey. And it was really difficult, you know, to say goodbye, obviously, because you're, 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 I knew I was going to see my family and friends again, but uh, my kids, but, you know, taking your freedom away is, was a bit of a challenge. So, you know, you're taking your physical freedom away. And um, also, if you really think about it, it's you know, mental, your mental freedom as well. Um, so I had the opportunity really to reflect. Um, and I knew at that point that I wasn't going to be like that ostrich that, you know, ostrich buries his head in the sand when the storm comes, right. I, I, I knew I was better than that. Mm -hmm. you know, I said, you know, let me take, let me take a different posture here. I'm gonna, I want to be that eagle that's going to elevate through this storm. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the posture I took um, when I was at the institution. I didn't want to waste that time 
And that 10 months really was, um, it was a learning experience. Um, it was a, you know, it was a great exposure to meeting different men from all walks of life that have challenges. And um, I knew I wanted to be productive as I always was in life and always wanted to help. So I, I, I started a class. I got a course approved through the uh, BOP, the Bureau of Prisons Education Department. And I actually had a class. Um, and the class lasted 12 weeks. Uh, it was called a mile and it was men inside leading by example. Oh, wow. Yeah. And some of the stories you learn and um, some of the, the, the walks of life that people go through, you know, you just can't, you can't take it for granted. Mm-hmm. I know you heard that saying before, um, don't judge someone until you walk a mile. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's true. And you never know, yeah, until you walk in those shoes. How it is. And, and I'll even go a step further and say I literally walked in someone else's mm-hmm. shoe because when you get to the institution, they give you a pair of slide-on sneakers. Mm-hmm. They're very uncomfortable. Um, it's typically protocol um, or the friends you make right away. Um, they give you a used pair of sneakers that, you know, they keep or they don't really use or they deliberately hold on to for somebody new coming in. So I actually had a used pair of um, sneakers uh, that I got from Mr. Lee. Mr. Lee was from New York, and uh, Jamaican gentleman, great guy. And I, I literally wore those sneakers until I was able to buy my own uh, through commissary. But you literally walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. And those shoes that I had that Mr. Lee gave me, someone gave it to him and someone gave it to him. So, you know, you literally walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. The stories you hear um, firsthand and the friends that you make literally walking around that track, a mile around that track, um, you, you know, you just can't judge. You can't judge anybody. Literally. So what you've, what you've gone through, do you think it has affected your outlook on policing right now? Because you've been very vocal about defunding um, the police. And we'll, we'll get into that next. Sure. But do you feel like this experience has, um, you know, affected your, your outlook? Has it changed your outlook on policing? You know, it opened up a, a new um, side of my official system. I'll say, you know, yeah, yeah. It it mm-hmm. it, um, it opened up it, it opened up a lot of, of light, and I had a chance to really do some reflecting and meet great guys, you know, from all walks of life um, that was in the institution and the justice system. Really, um, it you know it, it does need some some work. Um, you know, um, I I was very fortunate to have, you know, uh, um, a decent experience there, and I was in uh, a media, excuse me, a camp. Um, I've met guys who actually made it down to the camp from penitentiaries and the mediums and the lows, and to hear some of the stories that they share and some of the challenges, um, it really opens your eyes and say that you know. So we can be better as a as you know as people. We can be better police officers. We can be better um, dads. You know, we can be better neighbors in society. So it, it did it did change my my thought process on how I see things, and not be um, like I said. You know, don't judge somebody until um, you know what their full story is. 
Mm-hmm. You know, people do things um, in life. Um, you don't know the backstory. Right. And you can't judge somebody from, you know, like a manila folder that's in your file cabinet that has your name, you know, Daryl D'Souza or Tiffany Jones. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't judge somebody by your transcripts at Morgan State University because you're more than that. You can't judge somebody by, you know, an email, you know, or electronic folder. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's, there's something, there's a story behind that, you know, until you know that person and get to know that person. Um, you know, it's, it's just not fair. Things should, things should be really different, especially, especially in policing. Mm-hmm. Opportunity to really know the community. And I've always been a community person, but really I, take I opportunity to know somebody, um, know the guys that you may not necessarily associate with. Uh, because trust me, when I say this, uh, you can learn a lot from them. And I did. Mm-hmm. So, um, you don't hear a lot of officers talking about defunding the police. And so when you came out talking about, I mean, I just think it's, it's extraordinary, you know, um, and it's, um, in my opinion, courageous, you know, um, to do that as an officer. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you've been outspoken about it. And can you describe to the audience exactly what defunding means to you? Because right now I think, I think the word is a little, I don't want to say problematic, but Mm -hmm. it is because some people think it means abolishing the police. Everyone has different definitions of it. Correct. um, And it scares the community sometimes when they hear, you know, defunding. Oh, we need the police, you know, you know, so um, what is your definition? How how would you describe defunding? And um, yeah, what does defunding mean to you? And how would it look realistically like with the the, um, BPD? Yeah, so I'm I'm glad that this this is a very critical topic that everybody's talking about now, and I think what you just said is what's the definition of defunding, and I don't mean at all um, to abolish or disband police departments because you know we need police on the streets. Um, my definition and what I'm referring to is um, financial reform. Um, where you take allocated funds that would normally go to a police department or other city agencies within other uh, departments uh, within city agencies and allocating some of that funds where it goes right back to the community to help the community. So you're getting experts, you're funding experts that come from the community. Um, You're creating jobs, you're getting experts who knows the community better than someone from the community? So you're getting experts from there um, to come in and work alongside with the police department. And there's um, so many different things and so many different ways um, how that would look. And I'll just give you a perfect example is that, you know, there's one PAL center right now left. I know it's independent. Yeah, you know, it's independent from the police department. It's actually a community center, but what's one of the longest standing PAL centers in the city and um since the uh you know the 90s i think i think it was created in 94 and 95 and i'm almost close to it but it's roughly around 4500 kids that went through that program and the program was very successful because uh, no child that went through that program 
um, came in harm's way in terms of um, extreme violence, you know, um, is proven. You know, they had kids from the PAL centers that actually turned around and joined police departments. You know, it, it, the PAL center gives outlet for kids. It's a safe haven for kids. It gets kids out of that problematic time frame from 3 p.m. to 7 when mom and dad are away at work. Mm. So imagine just being able to create eight, nine, or 10 other PAL centers throughout the city. You know, just do the math on that. Um, and the other thing um, that's critically important really is, and I know some police departments have it. I know Baltimore does it. Uh, but having these mental health um, experts, you know, really to come in and really to work side by side by the police. And I know if you've seen it on the news and okay. you know, social media, you know, I don't send a, um, a non-law enforcement person into somebody's house or where somebody is suffering from some type of mental crisis because they're not going to be safe. You know, we're not we're not saying I'm not saying that I'm saying they work they work alongside with the police department, mm -hmm. and in those uh, circumstances where you know they can step in or they can take the lead on um, some community people that really suffer. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I'll give you like maybe like a soft example is that you know, um, say you live on a block, and, and even where I live here, um, there's a gentleman that almost every of the day comes out uh, his backyard and he has a, a stick and he's banging a stick up on the street right. side. And, um, you know, you would think that, um, you know, I, I, I would think that I know that he's going through some type of crisis that he's not right. But if somebody doesn't know the community and someone calls the police, they can easily say, you know, there's a guy beating cars and beating street signs and the police will come. And, um, you know, you pray that the situation ends in a positive way. But if someone from this community knows this gentleman suffers from a crisis, right. he or she's able to report that in an appropriate way and, and give them help. So, and our officers, I'm sorry, are officers trained um, in identifying when a person is in crisis, though? Are you know, they to do that? Because they're not doctors, you know, so. That's, that's, that's um, really good. That's a, that's a good question because, you know, the training that um, police departments receive, um, it's not training um, like a healthcare professional. Mm -hmm. The training that policing receive really is, you know, at best probably um, nowadays, you know, 40, 60 hours you know, um, of specialized training in that area and they're thrust into it on the streets right. when the training should be more. And the question is, is that um, we know when people are um, symptomatic, you know, when they're having those episodes, you, know, you can see it, I can see it, you know, I see it with the gentleman across the street, but how about those asymptomatic conditions that, you know, unless you're an expert, you, you won't know. Right. No. It could be something that, you know, snaps, the person can see something and hear something, you know, the way you respond to him, something can snap and that person just, you know, goes through a severe crisis. Mm -hmm. So um, they do receive training, um, but it really should be more experts. There really should be experts um, in every district in Baltimore right. City on all shifts. Um, so I don't know what the procedure is now, but before it wasn't no co it was no coverage 24-7, from what I understand. Now, I, I'm, I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure, but um, it's it's needed. You know, you know, it's needed to fund positions like that. And how do you feel like defunding the police will? Do you feel like it will successfully decrease the crime in the city? I, I think so, and the reason why I say that is because people don't realize um, the day in and day out calls for service and some of the duties that police officers go through. So if you're able to establish programs in the city, like mental health technicians or experts, you know, community ambassadors to take care of low um, minor crime disputes, uh, crimes similar to that that really doesn't pose a danger. What's happening is that you're actually freeing up the patrol officer Mm -hmm. um, to do other things in a community and some of the other things in a community that you know they they ought to do is you know non-enforcement um, activities where they're making friends they're bridging the gap you know they're building relationships so it actually frees them up to be able to be in the places where they need to be um, visibly and I don't mean being in those places just to put a pair of handcuffs on somebody being visible and actually helping the community um, the way policing should look, you know, which is being um, a guardian and not a warrior. So you've been quoted as saying, policing needs to be torn down and rebuilt. So what would that look like um, to you, you know, for the community of Baltimore? So I'm not saying, again, I, I'm glad you asked and I'm glad I got to have <laughs> Clarify this. <laughs> yeah, clarify. <laughs> now, I'm not saying right. you know, that we need to, or police departments need to clean the house. I, I'm not saying that at all. Um, there are some great officers um, in Baltimore. I know that. Um, there are great officers in different parts of the country because I, I know that. I know them. Um, I've seen it with my own two eyes. Um, what I mean about this whole fresh start or um, just building back up is kind of like tr training um, with a philosophy where it's all about restorative healing, uh, where it's all about um, cultural competence, um, where it's all about um, empathy, emotional intelligence. Everything is, is more um, trust related or building trust or coming from the heart or healing, you know, versus that mentality of me being a warrior and I'm going to go in this community and I'm going to, you know, you know, clean house. If I think somebody's doing this or that, you know, clean house completely. No, mm -hmm. it's more about restorative healing and uh, introducing programs in policing where, you know, that's, that's the emphasis, you know, the emphasis is placed on, you know, how can I help, you know, versus um, an enforcement-based uh, mentality. Okay. And when you say that, it sounds great, but I kind of worry about the, I have to say murderers. Yeah. That took out once, uh, you know, like um, people like, you know, George Floyd and, you know, um, Brianna. So, you know, is that going to help? Is is I just can't see it helping those. Like, how do we kind of get rid of officers like that, or prevent getting getting those? You know, getting officers like that. So yeah, 
So I I mean, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Like when you say it, 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 you know, it's great. It's just, it's so, you know. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> if, if, you know, when a police officer is hired, um, that's one of the first things that they should be evaluated on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what they're, um, you know, how they are, you know, empathy, how they are uh, with emotional intelligence, um, you know, how are they uh, in terms of social awareness um, versus, um, you know, what's, you know, of course you don't want to get someone in the police department, and, you know, that has a egregious record, but, you know, versus, um, did you smoke weed before or? Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah, right. you smoke weed five times, you can only smoke it four times. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But, you know, how is that person? You know, how, mm -hmm. how are you evaluating that person um, in a community? Are you a community-based person? You know, you know, where is your heart? You know, where is your mind at in terms of going out and being somebody that wants to heal versus that somebody that wants to go out there and be um, that police officer that, you know, wants to, you know, arrest their way through arrest um you know the crime issues away and you can't you know everybody knows that you can't do it um, yeah and i know one delegate is talking about introducing um he's saying you know officers should be asked if they are in like a um a white supremacist group you know like when yeah. they're interviewing so before they get the job like are you involved um so i mean personally i think that would be a great idea to do yeah um, yeah you know yeah and then I, I had even said before, and I, I would say it again today, is that, um, you know, community leaders and, um, you know, community folks that reside in the area really should be identifying those young men and those young women that live in their own community and present them to the police department and say, okay. look, um, this um, young lady named Tiffany, you know, she's just graduated from Oregon. Um, she has a passion for law enforcement. Um, you know, she lives in the community. Uh, we, we can vouch for her. So you're developing a policy where, you know, you're including the community in the hiring process. Mm -hmm. you know, so. Yeah, and I, and I think it, um, honestly, I think we should have some um, law enforcement classes in school. So Absolutely. when the kids are brought up, you know, some, they want to serve. They Absolutely. serve their own community, so start while they're younger, so when they get out into the community, they know their neighbors, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I think that would be good to have in the, you know, in yes. the schools. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and so, um, let me ask you, so, you talked about, okay, we talk about defunding, mm -hmm. and um, how would you like to see the money from defunding mm -hmm. police? invested into the community and what would you view as the key areas um again i i, I touched a little bit on two of them mm -hmm. but one is um mental health um getting mental health experts within the police department uh, i mean like your partner they're your partner and they're able to go out with you each and every day um to help and I want to I want to shed light on one thing um, that if you go to the Washington Post, um, they have a database. You Google Washington Post database on police fatal shootings, and if you look at 
the number of police shootings that occur each year, which is roughly right around a thousand, roughly. And if you t and the Washington Post actually started collecting this data in 2015. So if you look at it, um, there's you know 5,000 excuse me 5,600 um, police involved shootings since then fatalities. And the Washington Post does a great job on how they break down the data in there, and they break down the data where it there's a drop box that says, you know, did the person suffer you know, from a mental illness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you look at it, each year is consistently right around 23% saying, yes, they did. Oh, wow. Right, 23%. Yeah. But there's a, a bigger percentage, 70, 74, 75%, where it says no or unknown. So how do you know if you're not an expert, really, is it is a no? Right. If you're not an expert, how do you know it's not an unknown? Mm -hmm. So um, putting money directly into something that really is going to build upon this whole mental um, health crisis, um, I think that's that's a win-win uh, for police departments in the country, especially especially here in Baltimore. Yeah, we see it every day. You know, whether you're on the bus or it's your neighbor. In mm -hmm. my in my job, we get a lot of um, complainants calling who suffer from you know mental illnesses. Um, yeah. It's definitely it's a big issue in Baltimore. And so, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and it should go even a step. Um, even if we di just digress a little bit. So we really just can't say, police, 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 we need right. with them. There's really got to be a whole educational piece mm -hmm. where so we're actually forming the community on what to look for and how to report it. Mm -hmm. You know, how to report it. So this same example I used with this gentleman across the street pounding on a stick. Suppose he just jumped over somebody's fence or walked in somebody's yard and took that same stick and was um, hitting the window and somebody knew he didn't live there and that person said well i got a man that's breaking in somebody's house mm -hmm. you know um well let's just evaluate it just give as much information to a police officer or, or the police dispatcher train the community and say wait a minute you know triage that call a little bit better and say well do you know the person do you know the history do you know where they live have they done this before is this the first time you're seeing this type of behavior? So it comes with a whole educational piece uh, on top of uh, these healthcare professionals that work with the police department. And then a follow-up piece to that is just exactly what it is, a follow-up where um, you know who in each community suffers from an illness. So if uh, these experts are not needed, you know, certain days of the week or it's a time of the day where um, it's a slow shift or whatever the case may be that you're doing a follow-up, you know, with that person and with their family. And that person is getting to know you. They're getting to know Tiffany as a mental health expert and they're getting to know Daryl D'Souza as a police officer because we have time to go and, you know, when we don't need to go and kind of like build in a rapport with that person and the family. Right. So... So that's one thing. Yes, that's that's the main thing where the money should go in, in a program like that. And and obviously, um, I'd be remiss if I if I didn't say, um, you know, different community organizations in Baltimore. 
do a fabulous job. And I've always been a big fan of Eric Olson and Cease Fire. Mm-hmm, yes. Yeah, I've always been a big fan of Stand Up Baltimore, um, you know, D Chase and Carolyn Bird and everybody. Just imagine if um, they had more resources and they were able to expand throughout the city. So programs that exist that work already, um, that's my whole philosophy. Right. Exactly. And um and I'm thinking community mediation too. Yeah. I personally worked with them and they are they're great and more mm-hmm. people should know about them so they can handle uh you know, and you know mm-hmm. but giving them more money will put more of the information out, you know, about yes. them. Absolutely. So people Absolutely. can know that they can reach out to those resources. Absolutely. So had you been able to carry out your um, plans as commissioner, how would Baltimore look today? And how would your crime plan look? Because right now, I'm sorry, people aren't, um, I'm not sure do we have, I don't even know if we have a crime plan right now. I'm not sure like what, you know, some people are happy with what's going on, like with the leadership with the, the new commissioner and some aren't, but that's just how it is. But, you know, how would your crime plan look? Well, I don't, I um, narrowly removed from, you know, um, looking at, you know, the patterns and the trends. And um, I don't know the new administration. I, don't, I do not know the new commissioner. I have not uh, met him. I haven't had the opportunity to meet him yet. Um, I don't watch the news too much. <laughs> um, actually, very little. But, um, so I'm not very versed on what's happening now. Mm. Uh, although, you know, uh, in my community or, you know, if I go grab a bite somewhere to eat, you know, somebody will, you know, kind of like share some information or family members would share information. But um, I say to all, all that to say is that um, the, the, the key to crime reduction, the key to crime reduction is building trust. Mm. And um, absolutely. That's that's what my whole, you know, and, and not just when I was in a role for a short period of time, you know, really growing up, you know, because um, I saw my mother do it when she was a nurse in New York, uh, but really um, just being able to connect uh, community with law enforcement in a positive way. That's that's how you that's how you fight crime. Um, obviously, um, as people are going to be listening and people are really concerned about, you know, that person down the street that has a gun and is firing it, you know, you know, of course, you know, um, you got to let technology work, you know, you got to look at and be very specific, you know, with who you are looking at. And, um, there's great people in Baltimore from every single corner, uh, that I know, you know, every single corner and they all want the same thing. But there are a few bad actors out there who are the violent repeat offenders. Mm-hmm. And that's who, um, you know, the focus should be geared towards them. Um, and, I, and I mean, in a constitutional way, you know, you're not violating anybody's rights. You're not going into a community because you may not know, you know, who that violent repeat offender is. And you're casting a big net over an entire community. You're not doing that. You know, it's have to be, it has to be very specific to a specific person who's doing it. Um, so that's that was my plan. You know, that was that was really the plan. But again, um, community 
um, policing, creating policies with the community, uh, asking the community what do they want to see from us. Absolutely. And that's what we have to bring the community to the table and and let them in on like how does policing look to them? Yeah. How, you know, and um I, I absolutely um agree with that. Yeah. I will give you I'll give you an example and um uh like take for example um the young men who do the squeegee stuff mm-hmm. in parts of the city. Um, it, it, it's against the law. Aggressive panhandling is against the law. Um, but in your community, these are probably the same young men um, that you see um, struggling um, to put food on their table or clothes on their back. Uh, do, do we really want to criminalize them or do we want to establish or create programs really to help them? Right. So that that effort, you know, has to come from the community, and, and there has to be um, incidents like that where, and it's very similar incidents like that, or cases like that, or crimes like that, that the community really has to evaluate along with the police department and say, hey, wait a minute, I think we can do some type of intervention, you know, versus arrest. So it's bringing everybody to the table and having a conversation, creating policy. Yeah, and that's not really happening right now. In my opinion, <laughs> where the whole community is is at the table. So um, there was one question I always wonder about with um, law enforcement, mm-hmm. um, especially with black officers. Mm. Um, is it difficult? You know, and it, it, I guess it depends on your location, like where you live. Mm-hmm. But let's, you know, Baltimore City. Uh-huh. Is it difficult uh-huh. being a black man? working in law enforcement Hmm. and do you ever feel like you have to choose between the two um it it, it's you know you got to look at historically first and obviously historically um there wasn't a whole lot of opportunities for uh, black and brown folks to uh, men and women to put the uniform on and do police work look at the history behind it Mm -hmm. I, i will say that Baltimore police and, you know, some agencies that I know are doing a really great job of trying to bring diversity to the workforce. Um, but there's, there's still a challenge um, that I see because, I, you know, people that I talk to, you know, they, they share a lot of, you know, kind of personal stories that uh, it's kind of tough, you know, kind of tough to listen to. Um, but I think at the end of the day, um, you know, we know that the African-American culture has always been a strong culture. You know, um, it takes a village to raise a child, you know. Um, so um, African-American police officers always been part of that village. And he or she um, should be the one to take that flag and throw that flag up the minute they see something that's inappropriate. However, uh, at the end of the day, regardless of your skin color, you know, you just, you got to be, you know, that man or that woman police officer, regardless of your ethnicity, to say, this is morally not right. You know, this is, you know, I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like what you you did. You know, it's my responsibility to intervene. It's my responsibility to say something, stand up, stand up for the community. Hope that answers that. 
Yeah, so so on your stance, like, you know, with this and um, on defunding, like, mm -hmm. how do your colleagues feel about that? Do you ever get any kind of pushback because of, you know, how you feel about, you know, how policing should change? Yeah, I, there's this, this, there's a lot of sentiments behind it. I, I, you know, there's a lot of people in policing, um, even that retired, you know, that said the same thing that I'm really close with. But, you know, police officers want to see change also. Mm. Um, they want to see it. You know, um, a lot of times maybe it's that rank and file that doesn't know the right way to express themselves or um, they might be or feel intimidated in saying something. Uh, but in their own way, you know, they're, they, you know, they don't agree on some of the things that they, you know, they've been asked to do, you know, over the years and they want they want the same change you know they want safety in the community they want to build relationships the same way um and it's, it's you know it's a lot it's a work in progress yeah, it's kind of hard to see that sometimes though because of the science the, the silence so you know when they say like silence is being complicit with it sure. and um how do you feel about officers that don't say anything and i and i particularly have a issue with that with black officers mm. like if you're a black officer and you see george floyd being murdered yeah. by by an officer you know a white a white man yeah and you still making up excuses or you're not speaking out against it. i have a problem with that and so you know how do you feel about officers like i don't know that that thinking like so are they choosing to be an officer first before being a black man? Uh, that's, that's, that's a really good question. Um, and I would say it like this. I would say that regardless of your skin color, mm -hmm. if you see something like that, like that George Floyd, uh, the tragic incident, regardless of your skin color, you got to say something. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to intervene. You got to... Wrong is wrong. Gotta, wrong, is, wrong is wrong. You got to step up and, and say something. And... Um, you know, policing should have this whole mentality that um, that you have to patrol your neighborhood, your community, your post, as if though every single person in there is a family member of yours. And live in that community, which <laughs> just passed, right? Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. of us have to live in, yeah, live there. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Um, but... You know, they're, they're, it, it, that's tough. And, you know, being a black officer, you know, you can't turn a blind eye to that. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you have to be able to say something uh, without fear, you know, of uh, repercussions or fear of retaliation. But it usually is retaliation, like something done when you speak out, yeah. though, right? I mean, yeah, well, you know, I've seen it. Yeah, there, there are, you know, you know, um, I've seen it plenty of times where, you know, people are being retaliated against for saying something. I've seen it in my career. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's a policy it's called uh, duty to intercede. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of a lot of agencies that have that. Um, I know there's an agency in South Carolina that really does a great job with it. Uh, I met a young man uh, who's assistant chief down there, I believe. Um, but duty to intercede uh, really. Um, if you think about it, if you fail to um, intercede, if you fail to step up and stop or prevent or say something, the penalty departmentally should be equally or um, more harsh than actually the person who 
is committing that violation. Oh wow! You know, that's the way. That's the way you got to look at it. You know, if you want to keep a job, because you're just as guilty if you look at you know if you and you standing right there, and you letting it happen. You're just as guilty as the person that's doing it. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay, so let me see. What are you doing to give back to the community? And do you have any projects that you're working on right now? All right. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> good question. So, Tiffany, I'm going to tell you like this. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I am working. I am doing a lot of projects. I'm working on a project um, similar to um, what I did at the institution in this course um, that I taught. And it's very similar to it, but we're taking it, when I say we, um, the young man that I was in the institution with, we, he's also released, and we're building on that. Okay. Uh, so we can connect uh, law enforcement and community. But it's, it's, a, real, it's a real big project. Um, I can't share all the details yet, but I will say, and I, and I will promise that um, when we're done, um, I'm going to call you first. Great, good. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it because that's my big thing is um connecting mm -hmm. the community and um law enforcement because we have a lot of healing to do and mm -hmm. there's no trust in the city. We don't I mean yeah. 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 the community don't trust the, the officers and, and I'm sorry but you know, um rightfully so because mm -hmm. you know so much stuff has happened. So when I yeah. hear stuff like this it um, it gives me hope yeah. and this hope, you know, that the, the community is really, you know, in, yeah. involved in that process. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to that. Yeah. I'm excited about it. And it's a lot of work that's being done, uh, literally every single day uh, on it. Um, and, um, I can't wait to, you know, really everything gets finalized because I think it's, you know, what Baltimore and it's, it's not just limited to Baltimore, but it's, you know, surrounding agencies and you know across the country i think this is really what we need and i, I just have one more um question really um and i thought about you know we and we have like a, a young people issue in, mm -hmm. in baltimore when i say that i mean it's a lot of young people committing crimes yeah. and, and everything now and um and it's a, it's a lot behind that you know yeah. Yeah. But and, and they view um, police, you know, as the enemy and, you know, they, you know, but I just was one. I was wondering growing up for you, did you have any like conflict with the officers? What was the the, um, the culture like growing up, like, you know, in your community and because it was different when I was growing up, like I loved officer friendly mm. until me and my sisters were sitting on the steps and the officer tried to arrest her and it broke everything. It broke all the trust. Yeah. I had to run in the house and get my father because he was, um, you know, a community leader. And so the officers, you know, they wanted to make sure she lived there. Mm -hmm. But, um, I loved officer friendly until yeah. it was ruined, you know? So yeah. I was it for you, you know, you know, growing up, um, I really um, did not come in contact with police. Um, was, you know, my parents made sure I didn't, you mm -hmm. know, um, because they were the police. 
Okay. Yeah, and they had and they had their use of force policies on us. <laughs> you know, right. um, <laughs> I think all of us had a use of force. You know, that's right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we but have my own. <laughs> I, I had different challenges growing up. As you know, it was the, the mid to late seventies, and you know, you know, I was in that uh, tail end of the. Um, uh, culture where um, you know we were being uh, bused to a school outside of our community, so all the issues that came with it. Um, that's when I, as a young man, uh, was experienced. Mm-hmm. However, uh, when I went to high school, uh, when I was a freshman, my first year, I that's when I actually had my first encounter wow. with a police officer, and I remember um, that in high school they would give us a bus pass. And it was a, and a train pass. It was a piece of paper. And each month it was a different color. And I had a shirt, a uniform shirt that I had to put it in so I wouldn't lose it. And I had to, I was responsible for washing my own clothes as my siblings were. And I made a mistake and washed my clothes one day. And the bus pass that month, the train pass was supposed to be like a light sky blue, but I washed it. It turned white completely. You know? <laughs> And when I went through the um, Parsons Boulevard in uh, off of Jamaica Avenue, you know, I just did my regular thing, and you know, you show it to the person behind the, you know, the counter, and yeah. you just went through. And the next thing I know, at the blink of an eye, you know, the police had grabbed me up, and they were like, um, "You're legally uh, coming into the station, uh, the subway station." I said, "No, I'm not. I said, I got my bus pass right here." They're like, "That's the wrong color." And I said, oh, man, I, I'm sorry. Right. I washed my clothes. You know, they didn't want to hear it. Um, and that was my first negative encounter. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I said before, there's a story behind everything. Yeah, it was my responsibility to make sure I had the, um, you know, bus pass should have been the right color. And it, it was, and you know, it was a mistake on my part. But um, I ended up having to um, pay a... Um, I think it was a $10 um, charge. So I, I got a criminal summons. I had to go to court. I went what? with my dad. Yeah. I went oh, with my dad. Yeah. I remember standing before the judge and the ju- I, I couldn't even really explain my story to the judge because the judge wasn't even trying to hear it. The judge was told it was just a uh, white colored bus pass versus, you know, blue. Um. And I ended up having to pay um, $10. You know, um, so that was my first encounter, but um, my encounters in Baltimore were really great. You know, when I came to Morgan, um, there was a police officer that patrolled the Northwood Shopping Center, you know, like how Morganites, you know, know. and it was a great Northeast foot officer that was just a gentleman and, you know, just great experiences uh, seeing him there and even the, the officers. Uh, on Morgan State University, they were the same way, you know. So I had a very favorable um, experiences, you know, with them growing up. Even as a young man, before I even joined the police department, a police officer actually talked me into joining the police department. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, when did you know you wanted to be in law enforcement? Yeah. So I guess so, that was when. <laughs> yeah, I was a bartender at a, at a, at a bar in the city. Oh, wow. So off the Greenmont Avenue. And, um, it was a, uh, an officer that came in here all the time. Yeah, of course, off duty, regular street clothes. And we would chit chat every single Thursday and Friday. And he said, Daryl, you got to do it. You know, and I ended up going down to 
at the time, this was in um, October, November of 1988. And I ended up going down to the War Memorial Plaza and it was a job fair. And it was the state police, it was Baltimore County, it was Baltimore City. And um, I went to state police and I said, in your police academy, do you go home or do you stay on campus? What's, you know, what do you do? And he says, no, you gotta stay on campus. And I was like, no. So I went to Baltimore City and I said, um, police academy, do you have to stay on campus? And the guy was like, man, get out of here. No, you know, you don't have to stay on campus, you're home every day. Right. <laughs> so I said, can I get an application? You know, so I got the application and I was got hired right away. And I was so excited when I saw Rob, I told Rob, you know, hey, I got hired and, you know, he kind of mentored me, you know, you know, going up, you know, going through the police department, you know. Let me, let me ask you something about mentoring really quick. Um, I met a little girl yesterday. I've been doing like little mm -hmm. community movie nights for the kids. Oh, and wow. she is about seven years old. And she told me she wanted to be um, a police officer. Oh, she said, I don't think I can be a police officer. I said, yes, you can. I said, why, why do you think you, should, you could be a police officer? She said, because I made a mistake and brought my brother's uh, knuckle, knuckle brass to school. Yeah, brass knuckle. Yeah. yeah, right, to school. And she said, don't I have some kind of kid record or something? Mm -hmm. Like some kind of kid violence record? And I said, and she's a little girl. And I said, no, I said, they don't have that. I said, you will be fine. I said, you can be anything you want to be. But what would you tell, um, how would you mentor a kid like that? Where she's, she's gone through an experience and I guess the police was involved in school. So now she just thinks she has a record and she has no chance of being a police officer. It, it really affected her. So like, what yeah. would you say to her? You know, I think the first thing that she needs to see is that police officer that works her community. You know, really, really to take the time to go to her school and really take the time to see her when she's, you know, going to and from the grocery store, mm -hmm. you know, outside playing and just having a conversation with her mm -hmm. and her, you know, how special she is right. um, and that in life, you know, that we do make mistakes in life um, and that, uh, give her reassurance that that was a mistake that she did and, you know, that she you know, she um, she does not have a record and, you know, you know, just kind of encourage her. Well, sure her. She had a record. And yeah. I thought it was so yeah. sad, you know, that um, so young, but you are exposed to so much in this um, in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tiffany, when you see her again or when you mentor again, let me know. I'm going to meet you. I will see her week. next week. She and will I'm be gonna, next Saturday. I'm going to come and meet you and I'm going to have a nice little talk with her. Please okay. do, because, I, you know, we need more women, you know, Absolutely. and my daughter wants to be a firewoman and a police. Oh, wow. But I was like, oh, I don't know, firewoman. <laughs> yeah. But um, we need more yeah. women, too, you know. Absolutely. And But I just thought it was so sad that she was willing to give up over... She said, I can't do it, like, over this experience. It really, you know, had yeah, an effect on her. I'm sure that touched your heart. Was it just touched mine? Yeah, it, it really did. And it was just, you know, it's, it's sad because you hear stories like this mm -hmm. from really um, young kids. We're affected very early now um, with law enforcement, with, with things happening. It wasn't her. It was just a mistake. But It was know, a mistake. It, was... it affected her, though. I want to tell her the story about my bus pass, you know. Oh, you should, should. you should, because yeah. that's what they remind me. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and she needs a mentor, though. You know, if this is what yeah. she wants, she needs, you know. And yeah. when you mentioned that, I thought about her, and um, yeah. 
Well, I'm thinking of someone in the department that would be great to talk with her. Um, I haven't spoken to this person in a while, but I'll figure a way out to get a hold of her because, you know, she would be great. Or I'll just put you in contact with her. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, I don't want any, you know, we don't want any child, you know, letting go mm -hmm. of their dreams over, you know. Mm -hmm. That's wow. why we need mentors. How about that? Even as adults, we need mentors. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we yeah. do. Yeah. Okay, so now we are doing the wind down. <laughs> I call it the wind down. Okay. So the wind the wind down is just random questions to ask to okay. wind the conversation down and okay. leave on a positive note. Okay. So I'm kind of a weirdo. Like I love zodiac signs, and everyone I know <laughs> knows that I love zodiac signs. It's like. I'm able to remember people by their zodiac signs. That's oh, wow. I, I'm weird like that. I just love it. So my first question is, what is your zodiac sign? And do you believe that your traits, like your personal traits, are similar to your sign? Absolutely. I'm a Virgo. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I am very meticulous um, to to the T. Um, and they say Virgos are very loyal. Um, I am, you know, very loyal to family and friends. Um, and uh, the other part of Virgo is really the, the caring part. And, uh, you know, that's that's me. I've been that way uh, growing up. I learned that through my mom, you know, so I didn't, didn't really need a Virgo trait for that. But uh, right. caring is probably one of the biggest things that uh, Virgo traits that I probably carry. Okay. What is your favorite day of the week and why? <laughs> <laughs> you know what, yeah. Tiffany, I, you know what, obviously growing up as a child, your favorite day of the week is a Friday, you know, because mm -hmm. it was a weekend, you know, you were going to have time to play and do all the fun things that you wanted to do. You know, even in college, it was the same thing because we didn't take many weekend classes. And then when I joined the police department, um, you know, uh, it kind of changed because, you know, you basically work every single day. Right. Um, so it really changed, you know, uh, Monday's a Monday, a Friday's a Friday. It, it, it didn't make a difference to me. And then um, even at the institution where I was, um, as crazy as this sounds, favorite days was kind of like based on the meal that you knew you were going to get. Right. You know, like, um, you know, Tuesdays, you know, you had Mondays were, you know, it was like a, you know, throw, you know, it was a, one of those days that it could have been anything. And Tuesdays, you know, you had the, the chicken patties that were really delicious. And, you know, Wednesdays with burgers. You know, Thursdays was the baked chicken, you know. So when I was at the institution, I had my favorite days and probably was Tuesdays because those patties were so delicious. Mm -hmm. Then now, you know, present day, um, being retired and just working from home and, you know, I do work at the church, you know, do volunteer work. To me, Tiffany, all, you know, all the days are, are really the same. Oh. You know, it's like all one day, mm -hmm. you know, with six, seven hours rest in between, you know. So I feel like that now that we're in COVID. <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when is the last time you tried something new and what was it? Um, so tried something new. So I probably would say two things. One is that, um, I tried a pure vegan meal, um, mm -hmm. 
couple of weeks ago. Actually, I try and do it every single Sunday. There's a young lady from Baltimore. Um, she has Kehlani's Kitchen. I mm -hmm. order for her, order from her, and get my Sunday all vegan meals. Um, but if that didn't answer the question, uh, this past Friday, don't laugh at me. No, but that that did. But go ahead. <laughs> I actually uh, was working at my church and we were, my work partner and I were actually hanging up. She's a young lady mm -hmm. hanging up, you know, around four or 500 prom dresses. So oh. they were donated and I'm sitting there scratching my head, picking them up and trying to put on my hangers and looking for the dress sizes. And I, I didn't know what I was doing. So, you know, so my partner was like, you know, Daryl, just hang them up and I'll take care of the rest of it. So. <laughs> I never did that before, although I have a daughter, but that was... That was too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still scratching my head. We have another three or 400. So if you know anybody that, you know, I know we're in COVID, but if you know any young ladies and there's even little boys stuff there that around prom time or if there's an event um, or something where they need a prom dress or a nice gown or a nice dress, please um, follow up with me and let me know. We're going to... Church yeah, you can provide the information. I can um, have the information for that um, also. Absolutely. And as far as the vegan thing, I don't know if you tried Land of Kush, but I love Land of Kush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Howard so. Street. They're yeah. really good. Okay. Yeah, um, crab cakes. I love it. Oh, uh, wow. But that's something that I don't know if you tried it yet. If you, you know. I'll try it next week. It's really good. Check, yeah. check out Land of Kush. Okay. Okay. So, what advice would you give your fifteen-year-old self? Mm. Um, just maintain your self-esteem, uh, maintain your dignity. Um, no matter what the challenges that you have in life, um, just keep your humility. Um, and just remember that God is the one who says who you are. And Amen. Yeah. And what are your words to live by? Um. So I probably would have to say, um, biblically speaking, spiritually speaking, I got to go to um, Psalms 112, 6 and 7, and um, it says, surely um, the righteous will not be shaken. Um, they shall be remembered. They will have no fear because their hearts are trusting in the Lord. Um, so I would say that spiritually. Um, outside of that, I probably would say just don't regret failure. Mm. Use it as a stepping stone uh, for your next, you know, for your next door to open. Okay. What? This is the last question. Okay. What? <laughs> what do you love about yourself? And I just think it's important that we all do mm. it. Um, it's always a process mm. sometimes to do it um, for some of us. Okay. Um, yeah. I love that question and. It, my answer is really simple, mm -hmm. and uh, it's being a father or fatherhood. Um, that's what I love. And um, although I love my kids dearly, um, when I was on a job for 30 years, I miss, just like officers today, you know, they miss so many events, you know, um, school plays, PTA meetings, basketball games, just events. I just miss so many. Um, and now that, you know, I'm retired and I'm home, um, I'm just enjoying, you know, just relationship, you know, enjoy being a father and, you know, father of my son and my daughter, you know, uh, to me that, that, you know, that's means the world to me now, you know. Okay. 
Yeah, and people always think I'm kind of crazy, but I'm like, I love motherhood, though. Like, oh, I love motherhood. Yeah, I mean, I, I have one, but <laughs> but I, I love it, and it's nothing like that kind of love. I don't know. I've never experienced that kind of love until I became a mother. Amen. Amen. You know, and that's 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 the reason why we, you know, I, I appreciate having me on, and that's the whole reason why, um, you know, we need, you know, this whole thing with mutual respect. Mm-hmm in community and police and mutual respect mm-hmm. you know, because you know, we can't go another day without a mother losing their child oh yes a dad losing yes. losing their oh, love wow. mm-hmm. yeah it's more the reason now now's the time it know. is mm-hmm. it is thank you so much for being on my first show you don't know how much this means to me is just an honor to have you here. And I just want to thank my new listeners. I appreciate y'all for taking time to be here. And I will see everyone in the district. Thank you so much.